You're listening to Repmo Radio. Welcome to another episode of Retmo Radio, where we hear from people of interest and influence who live and work in the city that we love. If you or someone you know has an interesting job, hobby, or a story to tell, reach out to me on Facebook or send an email to jake at retmoradio.com. Today, I'm going to talk to Republic City Councilman and Master Electrician Eric Franklin. He shares with me about his time in the Army why he would never want to work a desk job, and what it's like to serve on city council. Please enjoy my conversation with Eric Franklin. Master electrician. Is that, <laughs> is that like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with, uh, with electrician lingo and etiquette, is it like sure. disrespectful to not say no. master electrician? I, I, is, it, I, I, is there it, like a rank structure that you have to honor or something? Unless I have to put it on paper for anything, I rarely ever mention it. I know a lot of really good journeyman electricians. I know a lot of really good apprentice electricians, and uh, you know a lot of it goes back down to work ethic. So anyone with good work ethic can do good and and progress, but it it takes time. It takes a lot of studying. My first job as a journeyman electrician was the B&B Theaters in Ozark. Oh, cool. Like and when it was being built. When it was being built. Nice. And so that was that was kind of my first, um, you know, leading a job and running a job. It's uh, There's a lot of electricity in that building for sure with different voltages. Um, you know, everything down from 12 volts to 480 volts is in that building. So it was a fun build. What made you decide to become an electrician, I mean, were you doing something else I've kind beforehand, of, or, or how did you how did you come into that? I have a CDL license, and so for a short period of time, a little over a year, I pulled uh, oversized loads, mobile offices, uh, mobile trailers, more or less. I got out of that pretty quick. That 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 was not stressful. a fan. Not a fan. Okay. Not a fan. There, there's. I mean, there's just a lot of different acts. It's like everything else. You have between the you know the laws of the road. Um, my job wasn't really a truck driver job, but yet we still had to fall within those guidelines, and so that made it difficult. Yeah, I could see that. On, on one hand, part of me thinks that that would be fun because you're like, coming through, Big Bertha, get out oh, of the yeah. way. But then on the other hand, like sometimes you've got uh, like a lead vehicle in front of you, mm-hmm. another vehicle behind you, and like trying to stay together through, you know, you're going through several stoplights in a city or something like that would be kind of stressful it, it, to it keep is. the convoy together. It, you have to, you and know. making turns, like good Making, making turns. Uh, um, a lot of what I did were school units, and so a lot of these schools are back in neighborhoods. Uh, you had to worry about power lines, trees, poles. Um, we, I had a few missteps along the way, so that was always a learning, uh, kind of a learning curve. And you can take a slight curve, and next thing you know, it's on its side, and you're sitting there, you know, the center of attention for everyone to see. But uh, Yeah, you can't really hide... No a mistake when you're doing an oversized load haul. Not not at all. Sure. Uh, some of these small towns, when when a load that size comes in, it's the biggest thing that happened in, in all year. So it, it's a uh, it's interesting. <laughs> like have a parade for you, right? And and they were classroom units, and so of course there was a, a fair amount of politics in that, just between schools looking for funding. Sure, yeah. For for building a, a physical building versus having, I don't like to call them trailer houses because they were kind of a. They were nice structures. I mean, when you can 
build a structure and take it down the highway at 60 miles an hour and it shows up in one piece, there's something to be said about yeah how it's built. Sure. Okay, but but it sounds like you've always done things that are, I mean, you're working with your hands. Absolutely. And you're working outside and you're out and about. You've, uh, you don't strike me as a person who shuffles around papers at a desk. That part comes at night. So I, I still, I mean, it comes, if you're on your own business, yeah. the, that's kind of unavoidable, but it doesn't sound like that's your passion. It, it, it's the part that uh, I enjoy least. I, I would yeah. say I, I enjoy learning and, and doing, um, uh, you know, things that I'm interested in, but it's that monotonous, paperwork i've never been in office i could never i would have a really hard time sticking to a, a nine to five schedule that just hasn't been anything that i've really ever done I, not not in a very long time so you'll never make uh, a, a left turn and go become a cpa exactly <laughs> okay uh, lawyer possibly lawyer maybe someday yeah, but yeah but uh I, that's to me it's it's uh yeah paperwork and sitting in an office just isn't for me I, my mind goes too fast in the many different directions and sitting in one spot uh it, it would mentally probably drag me down okay have, have you always been in this area and working worked in this area are you originally from somewhere else i was uh, i was born in springfield and so i had some family in springfield and uh, when i was raised as a as a child from oh i think about first grade maybe up until graduating from high school i was in uh, the north kansas city area it's a, a little place called Nashua that's that's uh, North Oak Traffic Way, about as far as you can go. Oak Park, And, and you graduated up there? Oak Park High School. Okay. 96 was when I graduated. At 17, um, I enlisted my senior year in high school into the United States Army. And so at, at 17, with my mother's permission, of course, I joined the Army. And uh, I stayed in there for a little while. Really enjoyed that. That's probably who made me who I am today. That's what gave me my drive. Um it, there was a lot of tough lessons for me to learn going from 17 to being an adult pretty much overnight, especially when you've got someone that's in your face and, and you the can... The moment you get off the bus. You can feel their words. You uh, you know, it's uh, it was a wake up, but but that came at a good time for me, so... So why join the Army at that point? Did you just like, man, this recruiter sounds like he knows what he's talking about? Sure. Part of that, uh, you know, playing Army was probably all my favorite thing to do as a child, so um, between that and I think it probably goes back to the paperwork part of it. it was, at that point, you know, I'm either going to college or, you know, I, I wasn't really that great at anything. So I, I was still kind of trying to find what I wanted in life. And um, so it was kind of a, a leap of faith, more or less. I had a few friends that decided to go, but it definitely wasn't something that I spent most of my life thinking that, hey, I'm going to go into the Army when I get out of high school. It just kind of it happened, more or less. Sure. Uh, so you go into the army and where do you end up? Um, well, I started, let's see, I did my basic training at, at Fort Leonard Wood. So I got to stay here in Missouri. Um, I went during the hottest part of the year, July and August, which, uh, that was very enjoyable, <laughs> but, um, went through basic training after basic training. I did my advanced individual training in, um, Aberdeen proving, Aberdeen proving grounds in Maryland. And from that point, which was in what, what, what did you actually go in the army to do? My, my MOS, uh, my formal MOS was uh, 63 Yankee. And so it was, uh, I was track vehicle mechanic in recovery. Um, if you can think about, you know, anything that runs on tracks, uh, of course, when I was in the military, we were very short staffed as well. And so I cross trained on almost every piece of equipment. This we had. During, this is the Clinton era. Uh, yeah. Sure. 
funding funding was tight and and, and that that was probably uh, another thing that that kind of gave me that insight between a Clinton era and and when you have a Bush era and and the difference in funding and how the military supported what they struggle with and so um yeah a lot of lessons on on that kind of side of it um from 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 there uh let's see my first duty station was in Fort Carson Colorado uh from from Fort Carson I can't remember exactly how long. I want to say probably three months of that time was spent out in Fort Irwin, California. Um, we had a, I volunteered for a deployment to Kuwait at that time, which um, it was part of the 4th Infantry Division out of Fort Hood, Texas that had gone. And you volunteered to go to Kuwait? Volunteered. Why? It's one of those uh, young, dumb moments, I think. Okay, but, okay. But it worked out good. I mean, it, it was, um, we were there, of course, during when Saddam was uh playing his back and forth on the border yeah he was still around then he, he was and um it's definitely an interesting country thankfully we didn't spend a lot of time among the people we we were out among the shepherds and the the lizards and the snakes and the sand the sandbox we, we pretty much lived in the sand forever and, and so it was uh a lot of interesting things a lot of exciting things that happen um you know you come across when, when you're in an area that was ravaged as they were back in the early 90s uh we spent a lot of time what they called i think it was the highway of death where um they'd pretty much been obliterated they're still when i was there most of that a lot of it is still there and so between protecting keeping saddam on you know where he needs to be and kind of cleaning up the aftermath of a lot of that it was primarily where we spent our time sleeping outside under the stars almost every night was probably it was interesting. A lot of guard duty, um, a lot of not knowing was probably the, the worst part of it. You just don't yeah. know, especially when you, you come across people out. You have no idea who they are, and, and you have a lot of thoughts go through your head. But uh, I had a lot of good lessons. One, one of the neatest things that I ran into in Kuwait was here again with this volunteering thing. Uh, we were there during Thanksgiving, and at Thanksgiving – there came an opportunity where a local Kuwaiti family was having soldiers over to their house for uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And it was primarily for officers, uh, my higher ranking NCOs, not you, not me. <laughs> right. The, the problem with that is when you're, you know, you're in Kuwait, you're in a foreign country and now you're going to someone's house to eat dinner. There weren't a lot of people that were interested in that. So they kind of needed to fill some spots. And I, you know, thought, hey, that sounds like fun. And uh, so I, I got a, a chance to spend the good part of a, a day with a Kuwaiti family that was actually there during the invasion when Saddam what, came What in. a great experience. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. a experience of a lifetime. Sure. I mean, that's something that, like, looking back in the moment, it was like a, yeah, sure, whatever. Right. But now it's like something that you'll remember for the rest of your life. I exactly. Yeah. And, and it came at a time where we had already been there probably three or four months um, besides MREs, um, I was constantly in different missions and whatnot with recovery. And so MREs was my main meal. Um, uh, after you eat those for a few months, you just, you beg for something different. And so I was very happy to volunteer just because I got to eat something different. Like, I don't care how dangerous this is. Right, right. If, if there's anything that resembles an American turkey. Exactly. I'm take it. And, and that was probably the most beautiful part. You know, I was expecting, um, 
I don't know quite what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting what came. And and what came was probably the most perfect Thanksgiving dinner I've ever seen. Um, of course, they were a very wealthy family, and so there were a lot of uh, I'll call them helpers because I don't servants. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know their exact status. Um, so it was very uh, it was something that I had never experienced before. Just having that kind of uh, here I am just went from camouflage to one set of civilians that we were allowed to have. And I'm sitting at a having a fancy dinner that's fancier than any dinner I'd had before I had been there, um, and so it was it was surreal. What a great story! It, it is. Wow. I, I'm thankful to get to talk about it because you know some of the stuff I haven't talked about in 20 years. It's, sure. Yeah. I mean, when would this randomly? Co- it's it, like, hey, Eric, uh, have you ever had dinner with a Kuwaiti? Right. Like, when would that ever come up in random conversations? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So, um, so you're done in Kuwait. Where else uh, did you go that was interesting? I want to say after that, the next place I went was South Korea. And and that was probably one of the places I was at um, more of an extended amount of time. Uh, They sent me there toward the end of my enlistment. I think probably more or less it was a 12 month tour. And so, if you have, you know, 18 months left and they send you for a 12 month tour, they can't bring you back, and so you automatically re-enlist, and then you uh, – kind of a motivator for that. So I didn't fall for it. I just stayed there the whole time. I was kind of uh, – I was ready to get out, ready to move on. Uh, I liked the structure of it, but at the same time, I'm just kind of a free-spirited person, and so the – That's not really compatible with yeah, Army life. It it was tough. It, it was tough. It, it it was hard for me to keep my mouth shut is and, and not get into trouble, I, I would say. Sure. So, so you spent 18 months in Korea? It was, um, it was between 16 to 18 months. Oh, I can't wow, remember great. exactly. Okay. I, I was there for quite a while. It was almost a year and a half. Okay. And so where, where on the peninsula were you hanging out there? I was, um, I was at a place that now is under the uh, direction of the Republic of Korea Army. Uh, it was called Camp Castle. And so we were approximately 12 miles from uh, the border of North Korea and South okay, Korea. Okay, the DMZ. The DMZ. Okay, so if you've got the the actual like JSA, the mm-hmm. the how which is on the western uh, section there of the DMZ on the far west side there, where were you in relation to the JSA? If you kind of went up the border uh, a little way, we were. East or west? Southeastish. Okay. Okay. So, so I, I think the the river kind of cuts through there, kind of from southwest to northeast, and okay. and just a little bit up from uh, you know the joint security area and down is where we were at. Okay. So tell me about your time in Korea. I'm curious about that. Korea was a uh, it was another fun experience. That that was a lot of firsts. Um, the food, the people, just the the area. It was probably one of the most both the best and the worst places I've ever been. Um, when you're stateside and, you know, you go to exercises and you're training, if you ever went a fair distance, it's off post or off of your controlled area, you would railhead, uh, transport your machines. That In Korea, you're pretty much all over the country. And so there is no, your transportation is driving it. And uh, when I was in Korea, the first vehicle I was assigned to was an M88A1 tract recovery vehicle which uh, weighs in at about 68 tons. Uh, it's basically a giant tank tow truck, if, if you can kind of picture that. But um, the name of my 88, we had named it shortly after being there, and it was actually Fat Albert was the name of it, 
kind of the junkyard gang. But uh, I was a part of Alpha Company Maintenance. Um, I was with the 2nd Infantry Division and the 2nd Combat Engineers. And uh, mainly I followed them around. So engineers like to blow stuff up. Uh, explosives is kind of their things. They, they build stuff, they blow it up. They breached obstacles, that sort of stuff. And so everywhere what I call the line dogs would go, we were more of a support network that kind of went in behind them. Um, of course, there were some less glamorous uh, accidents and whatnot that happened. That's part of recovery. So, th- you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of difficult times. You're, you're far away from your family. Um, the constant threat. Uh, of course, anyone that studies North Korea knows that North Koreans are not the easiest people to handle. And so we were always working to keep you know any kind of infiltration. Uh, always had people we would call slicky boys that were trying to take our uh, night vision goggles, our rifles, our sidearms. Now, are these South Koreans? These or are, are they? You know, are these well, North Koreans? Well, most of them we assume are South Koreans. We were in a very poor area. Um, once you get kind of north out of Seoul, it goes more to farms. Sure. So there's a lot of farms. There's not a lot of money. Uh, a lot of those people are self-sufficient. There's several, I would say, a vast portion of the area that we went villages. Most of them didn't have plumbing. They don't have electricity. Um, one interesting thing about Korea was almost everyone had a cell phone. And at that time, I, I think I had a pager. Yeah, I mean, in the 90s, yeah. that was remarkable in in that sense because that's where samsung mm-hmm. lg those are all yep. our big korean, korean corporation conglomerates there and so mm-hmm. they have as far on that front yeah you're right it's like yeah you may not have a toilet to flush but you've got a cell right. phone right unlike us which is and, completely the reverse and that kind of astonished me you know I, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at people talking on a cell phone and it was probably a few years after i got back from korea before i got my first cell phone and so um, it was different because even then I kind of got used to that where everyone had a cell phone and everyone had a way of communication. And then you come back to the United States and, well, you're still stopping by the phone booth to drop in a quarter. So That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, I was still like even in the early 2000s having to find a phone booth at a grocery store mm-hmm. or something to call somebody. It's just it's crazy to think about now. Yep. So uh, I remember in the 90s in Korea, there was like an incident where... Uh, I, w- I want to say it was like a tank ran over a couple like schoolgirls at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so during there, there was a period in the 90s where in South Korea, there was some anti-American sentiment that uh, there was that came up. And so did you experience, um, you know, any of the Yankee go home, you know, kind of stuff while yes, you were over there? Yes. Yes. It, most of the Koreans were uh, the older generation was very appreciative. Um, you know, of course, they they lived through the Korean War. Uh, so they they know what goes on. I think it's a, an age generational change. So when I was over there, I would say the uh, the people that uh, kind of fit that more often were your college age students. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's typical. We of course it, there were some different training accidents that kind of involved with almost every battalion over there. So it's something we always had to worry about, just because uh, you know a lot of the locals didn't really have that that barrier or that boundary cut to keep them back. You know, they didn't really necessarily understand they can't just go everywhere. And so a lot of times it was people that were coming onto ranges or, uh, you know, an accident or something happened where something flew out of our training area. We, we had a lot of good training areas, but at the same time, 
I would call it nomadic farmers that it, it's just kind of different over there with a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I could see a scenario where they're just kind of walking across the road in front of you, and they're like, oh, this is a road? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just doing mm-hmm. my thing. Sorry, you're going to have to stop. And, 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 I mean, it's easy to get lost over there, too, because there's not necessarily... Well, you get off the main roads, and there's really no direction. And so a lot of these training areas, you kind of had to know where you were going. Uh, GPS was something that we didn't all have GPS. Only a certain amount of people in our, our squad would have GPS. And so uh, our GPS at that si- at that time was, you know, this giant box that uh, it wasn't a hand little handheld device. Sure, yeah. This is before GPS was, like, available to civilians. Right. It was still, like, a novel military mm-hmm. technology. Did you ever, like, go up to the... Were you ever up to the fence itself or at the JSA or anything like that? I did go to the JSA. Um, I've got to do, I, I forgot exactly what they called it, but they took us on a tour, took us up to, you know, the building where I, I would say most recently you saw Trump and Kim Jong-un. I don't know which one You're it right. is now. Yes. <laughs> where, where they had met, where, uh, you know, the blue UN buildings with the yep, divider. Yep. So we got to go inside of the building. We actually got to walk over to the North Korean side kind of got filled in on all of that um coming down to that of course is when you look out into north korea and and the first thing that that happens once we stepped out of the south korean building was you see telephoto lenses taking pictures of everybody so that was kind of the first the first kind of wake up moment uh you walk down there all of the rock soldiers on the the south korean side you know they're they're very specialized special forces uh black belts in taekwondo they're, they stand, you know, out there somewhat intimidating, and in, um, I think it was called a Taekwondo Ready is how they stand. Yeah, it's like that uh, arms, that's out. arms out spread. Yeah, and they got like half their body hidden exactly. by the, yeah, yeah. All wearing sunglasses. So it's Big old aviators. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was neat. And, and, of course, you know, you're looking at the North Koreans as well, and so it, it's kind of a surreal experience to see them face-to-face, and, and you know that's the enemy. You know that that person cares nothing for your life and you kind of get that moment and that realization of, Hey, you know, if we got to that point, this would not necessarily be that as easy of a decision as it would be for him. Mm, and it's and, interesting. And so when you're inside, of course the intimidation tactics continue. And so while we were inside doors locked, of course, on the North Korean side, you know, window North Korean pops up in front of the window and now you've got the enemy looking in at you and your group while you're in there walking around. So, yeah, it uh, definitely some heart-fluttering moments. Um, of course, we proceeded from there. We went over to uh, the Overlook where you look into the, the the fake North Korean city. Yeah, the propaganda village. The propaganda village. Yeah. And so that, that was kind of neat. It's uh, got the huge flag. Yeah, yep. huge flag. Um, I can't remember exactly... If they were blare, there, there was music that blares. Yeah, that's um, been uh, in in the last like decade or two. That's been shut off mostly. But back in the '90s, man, that was blaring all it, the time. They were blaring it back and forth mm-hmm, to each other. Yep. And even doing some of the like, um, you know, the old Soviet style number stations where they would like do the code numbers for mm-hmm. their spies or whatever the crap. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were blaring all kinds of stuff. And that was a big part of it too. The, just the propaganda between. Um, I can't remember if they used balloons or what they would do, but they would constantly send stuff over the border that would float down to the south and drop their propaganda. I've uh, got to see some of that and find some of that. It, it was just kind of a... Uh, did, you, did you keep any of it? No, didn't get to keep any of it. Um, there, it, it was just kind of a, 
a unique experience in learning how all of the North Koreans see themselves and, and just kind of the brainwashing of, it's just kind of hard to explain. It's just kind yeah. of a, it was interesting. Because, I mean, in the 90s, they were going through a major famine. Like, it, six million people, something like that, died. Starving, dying. Was, yeah, um, it was crazy. And still devoted to, you know, their, their ruler, which... Um, Kim Jong-il at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's still devoted. I mean, you can... It, it's a difference when, when you look into the eyes of a person like that. You can kind of see the difference and, and know that... Stay away. It, it's kind of that natural stay away instinct, I would say. Did, but you had a good time in Korea. I did have a good time. Would you ever go back, like just to, as a tourist or whatever? Would you ever go back? Or you're like, ah, eh, that was that was cool then, but I'm I'm good now. I'd rather go to Cancun or something. Yeah, I, I probably would if I was with. Because it's changed a lot since it, the. I mean, it's modernized and it's like it, it has, and and there's a lot of uh, a lot of soldiers that go back. Of course, they post videos on Facebook, and so I've got to see some of those, and it has changed. So, uh, Korea's done. The army is done. Mm-hmm. And you come back to Springfield? I came back um, for a short period of time. I came back to Kansas City. And I just kind of realized that uh, the big city, just it's not for me. Uh, being from having my grandparents here in Springfield, we spent most of our family vacations at Table Rock Lake. And so just as a child, that was a lot of good memories. And that's what kind of keeps calling my name. Um, not necessarily Table Rock Lake, but the Ozarks. And uh, I'd actually walked into a retirement facility in Springfield not knowing. We didn't have the internet back then, so you kind of had to get out and explore and just trial and error, figure out where you were at. So I walked into a, a, a place that was a retirement facility, and they just happened to own some brand-new apartments in Republic, which was the uh, Windmill windmill Way. I can't think. This apartment's back behind Walmart. That were They were new. Yeah. I, I moved in, uh, they had just finished the first building. And so I got to move into that fresh building. Uh, a few months after that was when they had built the new Walmart. So I got to listen to the pounding of that for probably two months, just all of the peers and everything that went into that. So at, at that point, um, I'd actually met my wife there. Uh, she had had an apartment that was below me and we had met one night, just started hanging out and, Stuck together for about a year, I think, before we got married. Uh, got married at uh, Stonegate Glass Chapel down here in, in Branson. That's beautiful. It, it is. It's a very, very beautiful place. But um, she still works here. She works in um, here in Republic, as so a massage therapist over at Arabella. Oh, okay. So, okay. How long has she been doing that? Um, I want to say since she got out of high school. She graduated from Republic High School and... Um, went on to massage therapy school. There's a lot more involved in that than what people realize. There, there is. A lot like it's it's nothing I could do it, ever. It's crazy. <laughs> it's it's like uh you know, sometimes I've looked at like their curriculum, what they have to go through. I'm like, man, you guys have more training than like paramedics or EMTs almost yeah. like how much they know about the body and mm-hmm. how everything's connected and it works and And continuing education. Yeah, and, it, and, it it is. Like mm-hmm. being a massage therapist, I people just I really don't think realize uh, how much of a specialized th- thing that is. Right. Yeah. And especially massage therapy. That, that the 
it takes a lot to rub on people when you've been rubbing on them all day. I mean, your arms are sore, your hands are sore, your well, back yeah, is sore. Well, yeah, that would be my thing. It's like, <laughs> how do you how do you do something like that for 10, 20 years? How do you make a career out of that and not just have your ache, your, and, yeah, and ache all mm-hmm. the time? Mm-hmm. Which part of your whole deal is like helping other people not to ache. Right. And then, you know, I've always thought, because when I've got massages, I'm like, man, I don't necessarily want to be like the last client of the day. Mm-hmm. Because like by that point, they're already <laughs> like super sore and ready. You know, I'm like, oh man. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, it's hard work. It, it is. And, and she kind of, she deals with it by, you know, kind of scheduling her day so that she's not just continuously it, it sometimes it's hard they're very very busy just like everyone else there's not enough massage therapists to go around so it's uh she she does great at her work um i'm happy to have her working here close to town she works with some great individuals uh, she doesn't have to go far which is a plus that i would say the downside to that is um you know you don't necessarily work a normal nine to five schedule mm-hmm, work mm-hmm. in the evenings weekends that sort of thing yeah sure when when your clients are free exactly yeah sure uh you guys got any kiddos no kids two dogs so that's those, those Ooh, what kind of dogs kids. do you have pugs two pugs two pugs yeah okay so <laughs> uh you know some would say they're like ugly cute, right? Yeah. So, so why pugs? Is that your Personality. choice or choice? Or? My wife, when I met my wife, she had a pug. And um, I was kind of like that. I was like, what's this ugly thing? But once I got to know them, they're just, they have the biggest personality, I would say. And um, it, 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 you don't know what you're getting every day with a pug versus, you know, typical dogs. You just, you never know what they're going to do. They're, huh. they're fun. They're they're maintenance. That it is. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't they known? They're known for having health issues. Health issues. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we're thankful now. Our two, we're fairly good with all of the you know breathing issues or whatnot. Uh, we're just very particular and careful on when it gets hot or when it gets cold. Um, they're not the type of dogs we just let out and don't watch. Sure, sure. We we keep our eye on them. They they get into trouble a lot too. So <laughs> okay. And and they actually have their own Facebook page. Nuh-uh. That it's a it's um. Is it Tug Tug and Mabel? Like at Tug and Mabel? At, yeah, at Tug and Mabel. All right, folks, you heard it. That that's you know your homework now. At Tug and Mabel, you got to check out Eric Franklin's dogs. So 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 the dogs is probably the that's my favorite Facebook page just because I you know I get to take pictures of my dogs and well that's why you can't get any <laughs> any work done on your social yeah. media. That's work page primarily. is because you're keeping up with the pug page with yep, your dogs. Yep. They have a lot more fans than I do, too, so that makes it easier. <laughs> I'd, I'd say your priorities <laughs> in the right place, though. I, I think you're good. So uh, you've got your own business. You're mm-hmm. out of the Army. You're married. You're settling down. Uh, you're in Republic. How, and you've lived in Republic. So that's your, you've lived in Republic for a while now, For, then. for quite a while. Yeah. I, I want to say 2003. Okay. Yeah, a while. So I mean, yeah, we're going on oh, twenty two, oh, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what inspired you? What was the impetus to run for city council? My my main interest. Um, I've always kind of been politics is what I follow instead of sports. Um, I've I've just never had the patience to watch sports on TV. But uh, for somehow I can sit and watch a boring debate for for hours on end. And so I listen to a lot of talk radio, of course, driving around, um, you know, everywhere from, from Rush to Mark Levin. Um, and so I was always kind of curious about politics. Um, local politics always seemed to me very boring. And I kept noticing every time we would have an election, of course, there were seats that were uncontested. Um, cities around us 
seats where no one would ever even run. Low turnout. The low turnout. And so that always kind of bothered me, and I just really kind of wanted to find out what was going on. Um, local politics to me is probably one of the most important areas of politics to be involved in. And, you know, from my experience, a lot of people like to dive in on the national stage or even at the state level without concern on what's going in our backyard. Uh, you know, we should be, I, I don't want to call it the most control. We, we should be, you know, the, the area of most people pay attention to the most because what we do is what affects you most of the time in your backyard and, and more or less faster than anything else. Basically, you're just like, hey. I, you know, want to make an impact in my local community. Let's do this thing. I, I did. Um, you know, one thing that was always kind of a, uh, I wouldn't call it a dream, but something I always thought that was really cool is when you go into a price cutter and you know, people in the store uh, people holler at you and, and just kind of that small town feel. And so that's kind of what guided me towards city council was just, uh, getting to know people in Republic, um, having an opportunity to help people. Of course, um, Learning was always something that uh, I wanted to learn everything about local politics, you know, uh, how tax structures work, how ordinances work, resolutions. Uh, Robert's Rules of Order was another thing I had to kind of learn. Um, I, I, more or less, um, I liked the city council member position just because it was something that uh, I didn't want to go all the way because I felt like it was a bit overwhelming. I felt like if I was ever going to go anywhere, I needed to start somewhere. Uh, a few years ago, I had had the thought of running for state rep. Um, I'm very involved at, uh, at state level and seeing what's going on, especially when they're in session and um, on, on some other aspects of what I do, keeping in contact with our legislators. Um, Eric Burleson's campaign was one I'd volunteered on quite a bit. Yeah, I saw he's even on your cup. There yeah, he's even on yeah, my cup. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> it was the I only followed clean him one. pretty closely too when he was a state rep, and I wasn't surprised. He took, I think, like a two-year break and then mm -hmm. went to run for senate again. And I wasn't surprised. I see him around. Uh, yeah, like he, I've seen him very, around town. And he like, is very he's, involved. Yeah, he's not afraid to show his face. Yeah. And so when I ran in 2017, was my uh, that was my first go round. I ran against Brandon Self, uh, the uh, American Family agent, mm -hmm. and I, I also served on council with Brandon. Uh, I have a lot of respect. for for Brandon, but uh, that first year I got I got whooped pretty good. Brand, I mean Brandon was pretty well established, he, very I mean, well he'd established, been around in, in Ward One for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I, I learned to you know have a lot of respect for him and his knowledge, uh, especially with the insurance. Uh, that's a very difficult insurance is just as complicated as tax codes, and so it was good having him around. But he beat me the first time, and then I ran. Uh, I think it was twenty eighteen. Um, and I had two opponents. I had the incumbent and um, a terrific lady, Carolyn Bennett in Ward 1. She still lives here. Um, she is a citizen that comes to council meetings still almost religiously. So it's it's always I'm, I'm happy to see people when they do come to council meetings. And she's always a face that's there. She's involved. I know that she does other things besides that. Just, just kind of having that general awareness of what goes on in our community. But um, so in, in 2018, I can't remember exactly what the, the voter percentage was, but I had won that race. And so that started my first two-year term. The last time was in 2020 that I had run. Now they're um, four-year terms, right? Now they're four-year terms. Yeah, sure. So you're until 2024. So I'm, yeah, I'm into the, I'm through the, almost through the first year of my four-year term. Mm -hmm. What is the best part and what is the worst part about being on council? I would say the best part is um, my access to so much different information. 
Um, I've always just been a very curious person and uh, I like to read. I'm a, I'm a paper person. I've, I've just not been on the digital age of things, but I, I like to read. I like to gain understanding, um, just kind of how it relates to protecting the people. That's always something very important to me and making sure that government uh, doesn't encroach upon our lives anywhere where it doesn't need to be. And so learning on how that happens and where that happens was kind of a to me, that's the best part is, is I get to learn. Every council meeting, I'm learning about something new, not necessarily, you know, the day-to-day, what we normally do, just there's always something new that comes up. Um, it's a it's a great privilege in Republic with the growth that we've had just because there are so many different things that had we not had this explosive growth, we probably wouldn't be dealing with. And so I would say the best part for me is learning and having a chance to get to know the citizens of Republic. Um, getting to know the business, kind of the makeup of the city. Uh, the worst part, I would say, is um, probably on more of the difficult issues of zoning. Um, you know, there's a whole nother. I mean, there's a zoning committee. Exactly. Yeah, and they have to like sort through a lot of that stuff too, as well. Yeah. And, and they give us, uh, you know, recommendations and what and on council after you go to planning and zoning, they present us with finding of yeah, facts. Yeah. You and, get like the not in my backyard. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah, and that those are hard choices to it, make. Sure. Every time you know uh, a building is built, or uh, whether it's a a planned development district, anytime something happens, the view changes. And of course, you know, a lot of us, and I'm just as guilty, I get comfortable as certain. And when things start to change, of course, you know, emotions go high, memories change, change is good to a sense. Um, It's difficult for me to let a lot of things go, uh, especially when it's in your backyard and you can look out your kitchen window and see trees, you know, fields that you used yeah. to see they're yeah. they're disappearing quickly houses infrastructure yeah. being put in so i would say that's probably the most difficult part is just um kind of trying to find a way to understand and listen and provide you know comfort or understanding and kind of explain to them the process um, a lot of times when stuff like that happens it's been a process that's been occurring for several years and then when it finally happens and they see the change and they can feel the change, that's when it affects them, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, man, this is, it's you're like five years too late or exactly. whatever. Yeah, sure. And, you know, it's interesting because you were talking about how much you being, I mean, you're on the council, you're, you're in there, mm-hmm. and how much you're learning. And, I mean, like you said, local politics is kind of boring. And so... Joe Joe Citizen, who's not watching every council meeting on YouTube right. or combing through the minutes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something comes up that that he stubs his toe on or, you know, whatever and goes, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What the heck's, you know, where's, city government people? Yeah. What's going on? Where's my voice? And, right. And, and that would be something that would be hard is, is how do you bridge that gap to where, you know, to inform them about things that are too boring to read? You know, and I can't fault them for that. Like, I'm not going to fault an average citizen right. for not combing through every city council it's, meeting. It's, but how do you bridge that when they then are like get upset or concerned about something and then trying to help them understand, you know, because you've been sitting in that meeting, these meetings for three years mm-hmm. and there's been all these talks and all these things considered and there's all, you know, all these factors. And you got to try to explain that to somebody who is probably emotional mm-hmm. and you have to explain it to them in like 30 seconds to a minute. Like, Ex- Ugh. E- exactly. Am I, am I uh, off on that? No, like- no, you're, you're, you're <laughs> correct. And it's, um, 
you know, one of the things that I really didn't expect is, is you're right on that time frame. You know, this is stuff you've kind of, you've learned about, you've made a decision and you've kind of put that to rest. Uh, I don't like to dwell on, on decisions. I, I like to keep it, keep it, uh, you know, keep the flow of everything going and, and attack that next issue that comes up. And so a lot of it is kind of stuff that is kind of filling out of your mind. Not exactly you've forgotten, but you're not thinking about it like you did at the time when you made that decision. And so then to go back and try to relive every one of those decisions because you're you're constantly questioned like you know why why did you vote this way or why did you vote that way and comes and with the territory I- exactly and and honestly it comes with the uh, i enjoy that process too because it, it it builds myself and it 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 tells myself gives my confidence level up um just my i'm not exactly the world's greatest communicator but uh it's definitely being on council is something that's helped me a lot in that area when it comes to those certain issues, those hot button topics. Yeah. It's probably stretched you, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, um, I, I wouldn't call it exhausting, but sometimes, uh, you know, I'm, I've kind of feel, I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes. And then once you start to put yourself in enough people's shoes and you're seeing it from their standpoint, well, then you start to kind of feel a little bit of what they feel. And then you're kind of struggling with that. And you know, what is the, what is the proper way to go about this? What is the proper function of government? Thankfully, here in Republic, we don't have as much to deal with with the uh, you know overregulation. A lot of cities. We're not Springfield. We're not Springfield exactly <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, we we keep them over there, and yeah. we'd be a lot better. And, and that's a big part of you know who we've had here in in Republic since we've started this growth process with with David Cameron. Uh, when, when I started, we had Jeff Ustry was our mayor. He was a great mayor. Uh, Matt Russell is our mayor now. He's been a... You and Jeff... Did you and Jeff Ustry come in right around the same time? Um, my first election that um, I participated in was when he ran for mayor. Okay. So he, he won, was mayor, mayor for okay. a year, okay. and then I came in. Yep. Yep. So being involved in before that, it, it was kind of interesting to see the biggest topic and uh, the biggest hot point in Republic was the noise ordinance. I don't know if you remember any of the, the noise ordinance. It was, um, I can't remember the name of the church, but it was a church that's kind of over by McAllister's, and there was some problem with the neighbors. Was it Des- uh, Destiny? Destiny. Yeah. Destiny's church. And so that was interesting. I wasn't on council, but, uh, you know, I, I went to all the meetings, tried to follow it, listen to people, talk to people, um, that was definitely kind of one of those things where you kind of realized where big government comes from. It just in the fact that, you know, you can only be so loud or you can get a ticket and measuring and, and just that layering of things that government, of course, when something happens, it needs to be addressed, but that control aspect, that's where it really kind of, I could see where it could come from very easily. At, I hate, I hate to call them boring videos, but I'll watch, uh, you know, I've listened to a few different podcasts of different council members that talk about what happens in their city, uh, different, you know, they, when, when COVID hit and, and of course everyone was working on mandates and how they were going to deal with it in their community. Those, those are some very, um, interesting council meetings between Branson, Nixa, Ozark, Springfield, and they, Republic. and different areas handled it very differently and different areas sure. handled it very differently. And, and so I don't know. It's just kind of a looking at it from, from all those different directions and seeing how unique we are here in Republic. Um, it's made me very thankful to be where I'm from. Um, I I would say we have, um, a a very good 
group of citizens that, that great business owners, a lot of small shops around here that are kind of unique to our area that, that really kind of put Republic in a, a sense of community for me. So, uh, okay. Anything else that you want to add before we go? Um, just that uh, I'm very thankful for this opportunity. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, Republic is, we are definitely in a, a great community, even with what's going on in, in the rest of the economy. I, I think that, you know, Republic staff and, and David Cameron certainly uh, deserve the ma- majority of credit for what's going on in Republic right now. Um, you know, with council, we're just kind of making decisions. Um, it's kind of, we're, we're that last step before implementing a lot of it. But as far as the reason Republic is the way it is, it's, it's, it's our city staff. They do a terrific job. Um, you know, of course, everyone knows with limited funding, uh, they just do absolutely awesome. Uh, everything they present to council is just, uh, you know, top notch. Uh, they keep us very informed. Um, and, and they're just a great staff. Mr. Cameron, I think, is a, a lot of the reason why Republic is the way it is today. I'd agree. And he's big on transparency, so yes. that's kind of the part of it. It's Ab- like absolutely. everything's out. You know, the books are open for everybody to look at. And and that's one of the, the coolest things about Republic is, is um, as I've, you know, delved into just trying to gain an understanding uh, just to see the way other cities handle stuff, too, between Nixa, Ozark, Springfield. Um, you know, if you wanted to see something in Springfield, you've got to go through – 18 different jumps and, and two sinkholes. Sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's one of the, the great things about Republic is just, you know, having that transparency, having, having that confidence. Uh, he's very passionate too, which is, it's, it, it helps build my passion and keep me excited too. But, uh, great. All right. Well, Eric Franklin, councilman of ward one and master electrician, Thank you for coming on this episode of Repmo Radio, where you can get to know your neighbor. You know, Eric was talking about one of the reasons why he ran for council was because he wanted to be able to walk in uh, to a business or to a restaurant and and know the people that work there, maybe know a few, a few of the patrons that are in there. And honestly, folks, that is the mission of this show as well, and that you as a listener can get to know people like Eric Franklin or some of the other guests that I've had and when you go into their store or you uh, go into their area or meet them out somewhere you can go hey I know you I heard about you on Repmo Radio and I'm into the same stuff that you're into my mission uh, and for the show is to keep this city grounded as it grows I hope you enjoyed this episode of Repmo Radio and I'll see you next time have a blessed week